going to first step foot in the promised land if they have the faith to trust God. Their original leader, Moses, has died. The generation that disobeyed God and gave in to fear has passed on. They have been called to courage and faith in God's presence, as we saw last week, in his word and in his promises. And then today is the day where we find out if they will trust God or if they will go back to wandering in the desert. Uh, on a selfish note, I, I'm excited for today's message. Every year I take time and I plan out our sermons for the year and our sermon series for the year. And there are always these certain passages that you just kind of look forward to all year. And this is one of those passages of scripture. Uh, this might be my favorite narrative uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and it is my hope and my prayer that God's going to speak to you today through it because he has surely used this to speak into my life um, over these last few years. So we're in Joshua chapter 3, if you want to head there. There's a lot here, so we're just going to kind of dive in and start unpacking the passage. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are holy, that you are sovereign. God, we thank you that there is nobody like you. And God, I just pray that as we uh, study this passage of Scripture, as we walk with the Israelites towards the promised land, God, we pray that you would uh, help us to apply it to our lives, that you would speak those areas where we need to trust you, that you would speak into our lives, those areas where we need to set ourselves apart for you, Lord. Uh, God, that you would speak into our lives, those areas where we need to stand firm and trust you. God, we thank you uh, that you are a God that keeps his promises, that you are a God that works when we obey. And God, I just pray that you would speak to us today. It's your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. They said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 200 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. So here we are introduced to something called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is to lead the way into the promised land. It is to go in front of the people. They are to follow it because they are going somewhere they have never been before. But what is the Ark of the Covenant? For many of us, we hear Ark of the Covenant and we start thinking like Indiana Jones, but that's not quite it. The Ark of the Covenant was incredibly significant to the Israelites. and It was something commanded and given to them by God. The ark itself was four feet long, it was two feet wide, and two feet tall. It was carried by the priest on poles, and it was not to be touched, because it was holy. Within it were the stone tablets uh, that God had written the Ten Commandments on. There was Aaron's rod, and then there was also some manna to remind them of God's faithfulness in the wilderness. But most importantly, the ark of the covenant represented the tangible presence of God. Prior to the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers, but instead God's presence at this time was with them in the form of the ark. And so this was incredibly important to the people. It was sacred, and it represented the presence of God. And in this, we see this beautiful picture of what obedience is. That's our first point today, and that is that obedience puts God first. Obedience puts God first. They, they tangibly and quite literally put God out in front, and they followed after him. That's what obedience does. It follows after God. In every aspect of our life, if we want to obey and follow after God, then we must put him first. 
If we want to obey God in our families, then we must put his word, his instruction, his guidance out front and then follow after it. If we want to obey God in our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, then we must put his word, his instruction, his guidance out front and follow after it. If we want to glorify God in our work and in our recreation and in our life, then we must put his word, his instruction, his guidance out front and follow after it. Obedience always puts God first and then it follows after him. Obedience is reading, learning, knowing God's instruction, and then obeying and following it. Obedience is being sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And when God says move, when God says share, when God says go, you do so. And we see such a beautiful picture of that here in verses 1 through 4. They only moved and they only went where and when the presence of God moved and went. It's so simple in theory, but yet so often we miss it. We are following the voices of the world, of friends, of our desires as opposed to the guidance, the voice, and the direction of God. Perhaps no better summary of this principle is, is found than Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I love that. Follow God because he knows the way. He is leading the way. He is leading you where you've never been before, so follow him. Obedience put, puts God first and always uh, and always leads, and God always leads on good, straight, and right path. Okay, verse 5. It says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I love this verse. I love the confidence of this verse. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. To me, this verse feels like kind of one of those amazing pregame locker room speeches. It just instills confidence and trust in the team. Right, this is the buckle up the chin straps, do what you've been coached to do speech, and we're going to go out and win the game. But this speech doesn't come with the empty promises of man, but it comes with the promise, the confidence of God. Get ready because God is about to do amazing things. So they are to consecrate themselves, and when they do, God will do amazing things. What does consecrate mean, though? That's not a word I use every day. Well, consecrate is defined as this. It's defined to make or declare sacred. To set apart or dedicate to the service of God. So they are to make themselves uncommon, holy, set apart for God. And when they do that, God will do amazing things. To consecrate themselves, to set them apart for God's plan was a step of obedience in preparation for all that God was going to do that next day and do in their lives. So that's our next point. Preparation is a step of faith. Preparation is a step of faith that says, I expect that God is going to move. I expect that God is going to keep his promises. Preparation is not an effort to earn God's approval, but it's an act of faith saying that I am preparing for what I believe God can and will do. Think about it as a church. We purchased a baptistry long before we had someone to baptize. We believed that God would move, that God would save, and that we would one day need that baptistry. In our personal lives, we read God's word, we study God's word, believing that God will move and that God will use that instruction to guide us in the future. In our lives, one of the things that's so uh, valuable about, uh, about coming to church on a Sunday is we come to church on Sunday in preparation for the week that is to come. We come believing that God's going to use that time to prepare our hearts and our minds for the week that lies ahead. Preparation is a step of faith that expects God to move, expects God to do amazing things in our lives. I love that point, but I love this even more when I grasp and when we grasp what consecration meant for the Israelites. 
If you jump back to Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 and 11, we hear what consecration literally meant for the people. Uh, God gave this instruction to Moses. He said, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. So to consecrate meant to cleanse themselves of all the dirt, grime, and filth they had accumulated from the world. In Deuteronomy 8.4, we read that God had done the miraculous. And it says that their clothes and their shoes had not worn out during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So the clothes, the shoes, they were wandering had accumulated 40 years of dust, of dirt, of grime, of wandering, of memories of disobedience. The grime and the filth on their clothes represented years of disobedience, years of walking in the consequences of their sins. And God is saying, cleanse yourselves of those things and get ready to walk forward in me, to walk forward in forgiveness, to walk forward in new life, to walk forward in my freedom and my promises. And again, what a beautiful picture of how God is calling us to move forward to walk in him. God doesn't forgive us of our sins and then call us to walk forward in the baggage in the sins, in the patterns and hurts of our old life. But he forgives us of our sins and he calls us to walk forward in new life. To walk forward in his forgiveness, in his holiness, in his, his cleansing. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. In Jesus, you are not what you were, but you are a new creation in Jesus. He calls us to walk forward in that forgiveness, to walk forward in clean linens. That's our next point. Faith walks forward in God's forgiveness. It walks forward in fresh linens. The reality is we, like the Israelites, we often don't walk forward in that forgiveness. We often don't walk forward in the righteousness of Jesus. But we, like the Israelites, we walk forward in the hurts, in the stains, in the pains of the past. We walk forward wearing the stains of our past. We walk forward believing in Jesus, but still living in our past. Still living in the patterns of the world. Still living in the patterns of our past sin. We walk forward still living in our old sins, in our old nature, in our old tendencies. For some of us, we walk forward and we intellectually believe that God has forgiven us. We believe in our heads that we are forgiven, but we are crippled and we are overwhelmed by the stains of regret of past sin. We are overwhelmed by past failure and shame. We don't walk forward in the, in the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus offers. For others, we walk forward believing that we are forgiven, but we can't get over the very real hurts we have experienced in our lives at the hand of others. And we find ourselves unable to forgive and move past those hurts that we have experienced. We understand intellectually we are a new creation in Jesus, but we still view ourselves through the lens of that hurt that criticism, that abuse, and we struggle to believe that we are who God says we are. Our lives are riddled with stains. They are riddled with hurts. They are riddled with pain. But God calls us to consecrate ourselves, to wash and put on fresh linens and walk forward in his freedom. Fresh linens that remind us if we are a follower of Jesus, we are forgiven. We are righteous. We are chosen. We are a child of the God of the universe. We are not what we were. We are instead who God says we are. Paul in Ephesians 4, through 24 writes, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. 
but to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, the new self that was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God has saved us if we are followers of Jesus. He has forgiven us so that we can experience life and forgiveness in him. He hasn't saved us. He hasn't forgiven us so that we might go back and put on the stains of sin, the stains of shame, the stains of past hurt. Have you ever been traveling and you had to stay an extra night or maybe you just planned poorly and you've ran out of clean clothes? Right? There is no worse feeling in the world than taking a shower and putting back on dirty clothes. And yet that is the picture of what we so often do in our spiritual lives. We've been forgiven, yet we wear the stains and the hurts and the shame of the past. If we want to move forward and experience all the amazing things that God desires to do in our lives and in our futures, then we must consecrate ourselves. We must walk forward not in the identity of our past, but in the identity that he has given us as forgiven, as chosen, and as redeemed. We do this the first time by trusting God and asking for his forgiveness, asking for his cleansing, asking for his sinfulness, trusting Jesus for that. And then if we are believers, we do this by daily surrendering our lives, our days, our past, our hopes, our dreams to him. Trusting that that we are who he says we are and trusting that his plans, his desires, his future is amazing and better than what we can do in our own strength. We do this by, by confessing our sins and trusting God's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just. And it says, it doesn't say he might, but it says he will forgive us of our sins. And he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins to God and know that you are forgiven. You are purified. You are free to walk forward uh, in his freedom and his forgiveness. We consecrate ourselves by forgiving others and releasing the burdens of their sins against us. By releasing their hurts against us and giving them to God. That's not easy. That's not necessarily quick, but it is essential to walking forward in the freedom, the grace, the forgiveness that God desires for us. That's something you struggle with. Then read of the forgiveness that the Bible says you've experienced in Jesus. Rest, think on, meditate on that forgiveness. Ask God for the strength to forgive as you have been forgiven. Maybe for you, you need to seek the help of a a Christian counselor just to process the hurt and the pain and then to forgive and move on. If that's you, reach out and let me know and I will connect you with a Christian counselor that I know. And maybe she will be that resource that God has given you to help you move on and move on to the freedom he desires for you. Or maybe for you, you need to trust God's forgiveness in your life. You need to move forward from the sin, the guilt, and the shame of your past life. I'm so excited this fall. We're going to take a few weeks and we're going to walk through a series that we're titling uh, Who uh, You Say I Am or Who God Says I Am. And we're going to visit those truths that God speaks over believers and who he says we are in him. Get a jump start on that and begin reading what the Bible says of your new identity in Jesus. Your new idea that is ridden of any guilt or shame. The Bible describes believers as forgiven, as righteous, as chosen, as cleansed, as sons and daughters of the king. Free to walk forward and then walk forward free in that identity that he has bestowed upon you. So how is God calling you to consecrate yourself? To move forward in him and his promises. Maybe you need to experience his forgiveness, his life, his promises for the first time. Maybe he's calling you to walk forward in who he says you are. As opposed to who the world or who you say you are. Faith walks forward in God's forgiveness. It walks forward in his promises, in his cleansing 
that walks forward in clean linens. All right, verse 6. Verse 6, Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and they will stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. We'll make this a quick point, but when are they supposed to move? They are supposed to wait, and then they are supposed to move when God moves. That's just such great wisdom for us as followers of Jesus. When we see God moving, we should join and move as well. So that's our next point. When God moves, move. Henry Blackaby famously said, discover where God is working and join him in his work. When you see God moving, when you see God changing lives, when you see God opening doors, join his mission. When people start asking spiritual questions at work, when they start asking questions about church, when they start asking about what you believe and why, there's a good chance that God is moving, that he is stirring in their hearts. So tune in, listen, and share. When the church is doing a ministry that is reaching people, that is reaching children with the gospel, and you have giftings in that area, join what God is doing. That's one of the things I love about uh, VBS in the summer and, and kids' night as well. But God is, and he uses that to reach the community with the gospel. And there are so many ways to catch that vision and join in. Some people love teaching children. They can join in and teach. Others who might not be kids, people can join in through setup, through decorations, through teardown, through snacks, through registration, and so many other ways. But when you see God moving, find a way to join his work. Right? We've seen this at our church with youth group over the last year or so. God is using that ministry to reach teens in our community. Right? We can't all show up and help on Wednesday nights. But many of you have stepped up this year and have helped us just by joining and providing snacks and meals. That's seeing God moving and joining the mission. And it doesn't just have to be a church, but when you see or hear of a person or an organization taking the gospel to the nations and doing so effectively, it might be God's calling you to go and join them. Or it might be that God is calling you to give and support them and pray for them. Whatever it is in your personal life, in the church or beyond, when you sense and see God moving, then move. Join his work. Join the task of taking the gospel to the world around you. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest season. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge. We want to stop right there. So see the scene. The Jordan River is at flood stage. It's an intimidating river to cross. Nonetheless, just walk into while carrying a giant ark. But that's the command for the priest. There haven't been specific instructions here on how God is going to stop the water once they step in. And yet he calls the priest to take this first step, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible doesn't tell us what the priests were thinking or saying, but I can only imagine what they would be thinking. Wait, time out. What did Joshua say? 
We are to go and stand in that river. And we are to take the heaviest thing we can find and then go stand in the river. But what we see here is that faith often doesn't make sense at first. The things God often calls us to don't make sense in our logical minds. They don't often pencil out on paper first for our benefit. But when God calls us to go, when he calls us to follow, the right decision is always to go. And when God calls us to follow him, he often doesn't give us the map. He often doesn't even give us step two. But he calls us to follow him in step one. So that's our next point. Faith calls us to take step one, even when we can't see step two. God calls the priest to go and step in this river, which is at flood stage. Not only do they not know what's next, not only does it not make sense to them, I would guess they heard about it from the people. As we have seen over the last few weeks, the Israelites were prone to grumbling and complaining, especially against their leaders. As Joshua called the priest to step into the river, I guess there were a lot of know-it-alls and backseat drivers that spoke up and pointed out that this doesn't make any sense. And not only that, I bet they pointed out that this, that this isn't how it's supposed to be done, Joshua. Right? The Israelites crossed the Red Sea 40 years earlier. They were experts in crossing bodies of water. Everyone knew the story. Everyone knew that you were supposed to put the staff in the water and then God just parts the sea. And now this fool Joshua, who is now in charge, is doing it all wrong. But when you follow God in faith, there will likely be people in your life that scoff, that ridicule. But faith trusts God as opposed to the opinions of the world. So faith moves when God says move. It moves when we see God moving, and faith takes the first step even when we can't see step number two. Faith takes the first step, trusting God to move and make a way once that step is taken. Verse 15, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. I love this story so much. What happened when they put their foot in the water? As soon as they put their water, foot in the water in faith, God began moving. They took the first step. God saw their faith and he moved. But here's the deal. Did they see God moving right away? No. The water didn't stop right there, but the water stopped and began piling up in Adam. Here it says it's a great distance away. Uh, scholars say it was some 20 miles north of where they were. So to the priests, to the Israelites, it would have looked like God let them down. It would have looked like God had failed them. It would have looked like they had missed it and missed God's instruction. Because the water wouldn't have stopped there for quite some time. I can only imagine the, the grumblers and the complainers ramping up their dissent at this point. I can imagine them mocking Joshua and the leaders. You screwed it up, Joshua. You forgot the staff. You put the priest in danger. You put us all in danger. You told us God was going to move, but you messed it up, and now we are going to have to cross this river on our own. But was God moving? Of course he was. The water was piling up in Adam, 
God was making a way. So that's our next point. When we obey, God always moves, and he often moves upstream. When we respond in faith, when we follow God, it is rare that we instantly see the results of our faith. But instead, we later see that God was indeed working upstream all along. The moment, it says, their feet touched the water, God began working upstream. He blocked the water 20 miles upstream. It took a while for the results of God's work and their obedience to be seen, but eventually the result of their faith worked its way down to them. God's timing rarely makes sense in our minds. It rarely happens as fast as we would like it to happen. But we can have faith that God is always on the move and he is always working. Imagine just for a second, put yourself in the shoes of these priests. These priests had obeyed God and they had carried that ark into the water. And when they obeyed God, when they followed his instruction, nothing seemed to happen. I think if I was a priest, my temptation, I would have guessed maybe your temptation would be after a minute or two of that water still flowing over my feet, would just be shrug my shoulders and step back out of the river. But what did they do? It says they stand firm in faith, in confidence that God is working even when they can't see it. They stand firm as the river continues to wash over their feet, even in the midst of the mocking and criticism. They stand firm even when they can't see the results, still trusting that God is going to move as he said. What a beautiful picture of faith and a beautiful picture to model. I'm sure if you reflect on your life, you can remember moments times where you weren't sure what God was doing or how he was moving, but yet with the perspective of time, you see and you can know with confidence that he was present and he was working all along. Perhaps there's no better biblical example of this in the life of Joseph. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, it's found in the latter half of the book of Genesis. Uh, But Joseph is a young man. He is loved by his father. He's the favorite. He is sold into slavery by his own brothers who are jealous of him. He becomes important in his master's uh, master's workforce in Egypt, only to be wrongfully accused and thrown into prison. He becomes trusted in the prison and helps some of the king's men to interpret their dreams, and he gets gets one of them back to their position for the king. He says, please remember me when you get to the king. They, of course, forget about Joseph. Years pass by. But then at just the right time, he's sitting there in the prison. Somebody remembers him. They call him, he interprets the king's dream, he warns that a famine is coming, and he's put second in command of all of Egypt. He's given the task to prepare for the famine. Joseph does his job, and he does it well, and he not only saves the lives of the people in Egypt, but he saves his own family. Years pass. Years were seemingly wasted in his life. He was wrongfully imprisoned. He had to have felt like God had abandoned him. But we know that during all that time, God was working upstream. He was preparing a way for his people to be saved. In the moment, Joseph couldn't have felt any of that. But when he stood firm, he stood firm in his faith and God moved as only he can move. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope that none of us have to endure a story quite like Joseph's. But through this story and his story, we can have faith that even when we don't feel it, even when we can't see it, we can know that God is moving if we are following him in faith. For you, maybe it's your family. Maybe you have a child or a sibling or a parent that you are trying to love, that you are trying to teach, that you are trying to help, and you believe God has called you to the task. You're trying in faith to invest in them, but it just seems hopeless. 
If that's you, trust that God is able. Trust that he is working upstream in their lives and stand firm in faith. Maybe for you it's a relationship, a marriage, a friendship. You believe God is calling you in faith to continue to invest and not bail, but it feels hopeless. Believe that God is able and he is working. Maybe for you it's a job. Maybe it's your community. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your church and you feel confident that God has placed you there for a purpose, that he has placed you there for a reason, that he still wants you there. Maybe for whatever reason it feels hopeless, but if God says press on, then press on trusting that he is moving upstream, that he is able. I don't know your circumstances, but you do. If you feel God calling you to press on in faith, then press on trusting him to move. You never know how God is working upstream. But when you are falling in faith, you can trust that he is able, that he is. So as we begin to reflect and as Melinda comes to play in a moment, where are you in this story? I love this story because I think it's so easy for me to relate with. I think I could find myself in just about every uh, season of this story. But I don't know about you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I would guess you can find yourself somewhere in the process. I would guess for some of you there is something that God is calling you to, you to do, and you just don't see how it could possibly work out. It doesn't pencil out on paper, but you know God is calling you to it in faith. And you're asking yourself, is God trustworthy? Could God actually provide in this circumstance? And you're left with the decision, will I follow God? Will I trust him and step out in faith? Will I trust myself and turn back? Or maybe you're like the priest and you've already taken that step of faith. That step that you clearly thought God called you to do. But it just doesn't feel like he is moving. It just doesn't feel like he is able in the midst of this. If you took that step in faith and you were confident that it was God that said move, then will you too, like the priest, you're left with a choice. You're left with a choice. Will I bail? Will I walk out of the river? Will I trust myself in the midst of the circumstances? Will I trust that God said move? Will I trust that he is moving upstream? Will I trust that he is able? Will I trust that he will provide? So will you bail or will you stand firm in faith? Or finally, maybe God is calling you to faith and he's calling you to prepare. He's calling you to consecrate yourself for what is to come. If so, how is he calling you to prepare? What are the steps he's calling you to? What is he, how is he calling you to consecrate yourself? Maybe he's calling you to trust his forgiveness in your life. Maybe he's calling you to grant forgiveness and to let go of some hurt before you move forward in life. How is he calling you to prepare today? I'm going to pray for us and then after I pray for us, Melinda will play for just a couple of minutes. I ask you just to bow your head and just to ask God what it is he's calling you to do. Or maybe you know what he's calling you to do already and just ask him for the strength to trust him in it. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are able. We thank you that you are holy. We thank you that you are worthy. God, we thank you that you always keep your promises. So God, I pray over these next couple minutes, if you are calling us to take a step of faith, God, I pray you will make it clear to us. So you'll make it clear to us what it is you're calling us to do, Lord, and you would give us the courage and the strength to take step one, even when we can't take step two, even when we can't see step two, even when we don't see the way forward that we would trust in you. And God, I pray for each of us here, Lord, I would, I would guess that just about all of us are in some situation where we just aren't sure how it's going to work out. We believe that you led us there, but, but we just don't see 
how you are moving. God, I pray for those in that situation, Lord, that you would give us the confidence and the faith to stand firm and to press on. Trusting that you are indeed moving. Trusting that we will one day see the results of your moving. Trusting that you will make a way as only you can make a way. Trusting that you will keep your promises. God, maybe there's some of us here, Lord, and, and we are like the Israelites. Lord, we've been wandering, we've been walking, we are uh, covered in the, the dirt and the filth and the shame and the sins and the hurt of our past. God, we've experienced your forgiveness and you are calling us to trust you in that. You're calling us not to shower and put on dirty clothes, but to shower and trust your forgiveness and walk forward in your cleanliness, to walk forward in your holiness, to walk forward in your righteousness. God, that can be such a, a hard thing to trust you in. God, I pray you would help us to see who you see when you look at us. That you would help us to, to see our identity through your eyes and not our own. That we would embrace and experience the forgiveness from the guilt and shame, Lord, and be entrusted to you. God, maybe for some of us, you would give us the strength and the courage to forgive as we have been forgiven. That you would give us the courage and the strength to take steps to forgive as we have been forgiven. God, whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us these next couple minutes. That you would reveal to us where it is we need to step out in faith and trust you. God, that you would help us to begin that process today. God, we thank you for who you are. We love you. And we pray to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, Lord, we just thank you that you are able. God, we thank you that you are worthy of our trust. God, we thank you that you always keep your promises. And God, I pray that we would walk forward um, in faith today as we leave. God, we just thank you um, for the chance to study your word. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, just a few announcements before uh, we head out. First of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card. Uh, somewhere in the vicinity of you, if you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in a box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. That's also you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, the two big announcements are we have our fifth anniversary service coming up next Sunday. Uh, so we would like, we would ask you to join us at first at 10 o'clock uh, here at the church for our, our worship service as we just spend some time celebrating uh, who God is and what he has done in the life of our church over these last five years. 
And then after that, we will meet together uh, at the pavilion at 12 o'clock uh, for a potluck lunch. The church will provide uh, hamburgers and hot dogs. Uh, we'd love for you to bring either a side or a dessert to share. Um, if you're going to do that, there's sign-up sheets on both of those tables. Um, just so you can sign up, just so we don't end up with all dessert or all sides. Um, if you're unable to do that, please come and join us. There will be plenty of food and plenty to do. Uh, it's going to be fun. Bring your kids. There will be activities for them there, too. Uh, so it will be a great time. Uh, the second thing is as we celebrate our fifth anniversary, we are um, trying to take time as individuals and as a church just to uh, pause and give thanks for how God has uh, used the church in our lives. And so uh, we would just ask you, there's um, like letterhead on both of those uh, both of those tables, just to grab a piece and just right away they